existence. Hello and welcome to the Radiant Black Podcast. This is a podcast focused on Radiant Black and all things Massiverse by Kyle Higgins, Marcelo Costa, Becca Carey, and Michael Basudel. Today we are joined by a very special guest, former director of development of Power Rangers and Hasbro, and current writer and co-creator of The Dead Lucky, Melissa Flores. How are you doing today, Melissa? I'm great. How are you guys? Thank you so much for having me. Of course. Now we've been looking forward to this for for a while now. We're so excited to read Dead Lucky ever since it's been announced. I mean, we, since we've seen French do that one issue of Radiant Black, yeah. yeah, we're just so excited and we're grateful to have you here today. I I am excited. I'm so happy with how it came out. I'm really excited for you guys to take a look and see it. It it looks amazing. And thank God for French and Mattia and Becca and Michael and Kyle because it's I couldn't ask for a better first issue. I think. Oh, for sure. And speaking of, like, how did this all come together? We know you're involved with Power Rangers and everything, and I assume that kind of connected you and Kyle? Yeah. So uh, I was the director of development and production for Power Rangers for about, on and off, about 10 years. Uh, I wasn't a director that whole time, but, you know, worked my way up. And part of what that meant was that anytime there was some sort of story whether it didn't if it didn't directly involve the television show which i had less input in until beast morphers basically my job and the job of the department that i was in was to make sure that it reflected the brand appropriately that there wasn't any mistakes in terms of lore or canon and that it just was the best version of a power ranger story we could tell for that time and um boom studios came and got the license for Power Rangers through our incredible uh, licensing department. And they had Kyle pitch us a story. And Kyle was an incredible writer. Uh, didn't I loved comic books. Like, I fell in love with comic books through, ironically, through video games. Because I had been playing Injustice. And because I loved Injustice so much, I then picked up the Injustice comic book. Because it came with a comic Ooh. book. And then I went and picked up the rest. And that's how I fell in love with comic books through Tom Taylor's Injustice Run. And so I'd, I'd loved comics for a while, but having Power Rangers told in a comic form differently than what we we're used to was definitely an adjustment for us. They, they had a lot of patience for us. I will say that. Uh, Kyle said something that always uh, stuck with me, whereas he wanted to write Power Rangers not as it was, but as, he's, as how he remembered it. So he created these amazing stories with incredible character development where we didn't have to worry about the TV formula of Power Rangers or the age range. We're going a little higher. And through that, Kyle and I became friends because we had to work a lot together. And then in addition to working on the comic books, uh, we also worked together on a video game and we worked together on the Shattered Grid promo films and we started seeing each other in conventions and it just became a really great relationships that lasted beyond his run on Power Rangers and mine as well. And because we stayed friends, uh, I got to take a look at Radiant Black and, and see all the amazing things he was doing. And I was really excited for him. And one day we we're having lunch, just catching up. And he's like, hey, why don't you pitch me a superhero story? Do you want to pitch me a superhero book? And I was like, um, yeah, <laughs> of course I do. So he's like, great, pick a city and come up with a cool story and let's talk about it. And so I think a couple of weeks later, I came back with the concept for Dead Lucky in San Francisco. And that's how it kind of all started. That's awesome. So what you're saying is Power Rangers brings people together. Kyle is absolutely fantastic at sharing his success and being able to spot, I would say, spot incredible talent and being able to, and I'm not calling myself that, by the way, I'm just saying overall, you know, um, and being able to 
work in a way that's more of a, a producer or a um, a director, because he is a director, than just a writer, I think. And I think absolutely Power Ranger brings us all together because it's Ryan, Michael, Matt, myself, Kyle, and we all had Power Ranger origins. And it's been a lot of fun to play in that world together and now to play in this one. And the Massiverse just keeps uh, growing and growing. I will I say, to- though, I, I'm really sad that I don't have a beard. I feel like everybody else has one. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, with Kyle and what he's doing, who knows? Maybe he'll be able to make it happen with uh, the crazy stuff. We got bath who bombs knows? going. Who knows? Who knows? I'm, I'm, I'm hoping for it. If not, I'll buy I'll buy a wig. <laughs> well, uh, I was wondering, how did your work on Power Rangers being director differ, or even help you with, you know, being a writer or writing your own comic book series now? You know it. So I wasn't a writer on Power Rangers. That wasn't my job, but I've always been a writer, just not professionally. I've always uh, written for myself and and been obsessed with story and TV and everything since I was a little kid. It definitely helped me when I was uh, the director of development at Power Rangers, because essentially what you are is a producer. And what is producer is supposed to do is help uh, the writer tell the best story that the writer wants to tell within the conframes that we have, whether it be it budget or brand or lore and something. So I definitely got, I did my best at being the kind of producer that could tell good story notes and not be the kind of producer that ends up on Twitter or somebody like complaining about a note that somebody, a producer gave, though I'm sure I gave a few of those ridiculous notes that made zero sense. Um, and through that, I definitely got to learn what makes a good story, uh, what works for whatever medium that we're doing at the time because i did not just comic books but obviously feature films um, television series video games where i helped produce story mode for battle for the grid we did i did legacy wars we did uh, a bunch of the novels so i've always had um and through and, and a lot of stuff that i can't even talk about because obviously either didn't come to fruition or it just was stuff that just didn't end up happening um or we can't talk about it because it just, you know, NDAs and all that stuff. But through that, a lot of my job was to help develop and create a lot of these projects. And it helped me really hone my skills in terms of what is a good story and what works for what market. And when I left Power Rangers, I was kind of itching in that respect because uh, I missed telling my own stories. I missed being a writer and it was time for me to try. And thankfully, um, I, by in my time as a producer, I had made a lot of incredible connections of people who actually believed that I had talent in that area and thankfully were able to help and support and uh, allow me to do this kind of work that I really like. But it definitely helped because as a producer, I can understand both sides of the stories. So I tend to take notes very well. Um, which really helps me when I'm working with other producers who are giving me notes because it allows me to be very team oriented, I think, um, which can be hard sometimes when you're playing when somebody's giving you notes about your baby, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Speaking of um, uh, teamwork, um, has there been uh, working with French, has there been uh, like a change in the way you've tackled these characters based on the designs you've been able to come up together? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. The original design for BB Suit uh, was done by Federico Sabatini, who absolutely Mm. amazing artist. Um, We worked together on BB's original costume, the suit that you still see in the book. And 
I loved that. I love that design. It was just all I literally said was this is a I would like a suit that mimics or pays homage to the sugar skull, the Mexican sugar skull, because mm. the character is uh, half Chinese, half Mexican. And I wanted to really pay attention to the Day of the Dead and honor that side of her in that way. Um, so his design was beautiful. And then French came in and did every other design. And they, uh, the moment I saw Bibi, which I don't think you guys have seen her civilian form yet, right? No, we haven't. I don't. He, Oh, um, well, you were looking, there was one where you saw Maria, who's another character that you eventually see. I don't know if we've seen Bibi yet, but if you have, amazing. So Bibi, once you see Bibi's civilian form, she looks amazing. Like, it's not easy to, you know, she's a mixed character. She's half Chinese, half Mexican. Um, she's also a former captain in the army. And so she's meant to look tough but also soft because she also is dealing with a lot of trauma and she's kind of not really comfortable in her own skin and i think he pulled that off perfectly with that character like she just looks so cool and every other character the the design for for ghost which is her mech is absolutely fantastic literally when he does inks um it's like he's in my head because uh when i give him the script i rarely give him more notes than you know here's here's what I'm thinking. Here's, you know, panel one, panel two, panel three. And let's put them all together. And he does it in a way that's so dynamic and so interesting. And then Mattia comes in with his colors and Beck comes in with... It's a dream process with all of them. They are just so excited and so fun to work with and so enthusiastic. And I have never felt more blessed than working with all of them, Michael and Kyle included. That's fantastic. Yeah, that that's awesome. And something else that really specifically drew me to this story um, was the veteran aspect. Actually, yes. uh, my grand my grandpa was in the Canadian Air Force, and uh, about six years ago, like he started a charity for curling, and he runs it across Canada now. And so the past six years, I've really just been getting into speaking with a lot of veterans and soldiers and my eyes have really just opened to what they've experienced and my question for you was how important is it um, to get that message and the authenticity of that um, to people who may not be aware of what they go through on a daily basis fighting through their PTSD oh it's it's incredibly important it's it's literally the heart of the book the whole book was inspired by um my partner and other veterans like her. And the reason why it came about was just being in a relationship with a veteran when you're not a veteran is a very interesting thing. And I'm sure you you have felt that as a civilian, if you haven't served, where there's just things you're never going to understand. Yeah, for uh, sure. Because they don't see you as one of them sometimes. You're a civilian, they're a soldier. And there's no way you can really and it's it would it would frustrate me so much sometimes because i like to think i'm this empathetic like i can put myself in anybody's shoes kind of person but i have not had experiences that she can't even talk about or that you know my friends can't even talk about and what i wanted with this book was to look at that experience and look at that kind of person and this isn't an attempt to understand them but intend to honor them and where they came from and explore bring to light that kind of mentality right um what they go through when they belong to something that is so powerful and so it can be dangerous it can be really tough but also really there's tremendous highs 
that come with that as well when you're with your squad, when you're with your platoon. There's tremendous lows that come with that. There's loss that you feel that nobody else can understand because you're bonded by these incredible experiences. And then you have to leave them and you come back to this world that you've given up so much liberty to protect. And suddenly it doesn't look the same anymore because you're so used to looking at the world a different way. And when you get into relationships, when you're with your family or with your girlfriends or boyfriends or partners or whoever you are with people that love you, it can be tremendously easy to just push people away because they're just not going to get it. And I really wanted to honor that kind of person and also just explore what that what that means and hope to bring that to shed a little bit more light on what does that mean when you have survivor's guilt when you have PTSD does it how do you deal with that in that kind of world honestly we we lost a really good friend of ours who was um <clears throat> sorry I'm getting who was uh, a veteran as well and he um he committed suicide uh, a couple years ago and he was just the nicest guy and he but he just I'm really sorry to hear that yeah it's I mean it sucks, right? Because he's just such a good guy, right? And um, and you don't understand, but you can't. And it just, it's one of those things where I just want to honor those kind of people and and say, hey, you know, we we may not understand your pain, but we see it, and we want we're here for you. Yeah, we're here for you, and we love you. And that's what um, what the dead lucky really wants to explore. I mean, it's a superhero story. There's mechs, there's fights, there's superpowers, it's everything, you know, I'm a superhero girl, I grew up on Power Rangers, or I lived, you know, lived Power Rangers for such a long time, I I live and breathe superheroes, but I wanted the story to have that kind of depth and also to have that kind of meaning, um, and to truly honor those kind of people, because I think we need to, we can't forget about soldiers as soon as they they leave the army, we have to also, you know, without politicizing it as to Mm. what they're fighting for, just looking at them as people. And so what true. that means. And I picked San Francisco specifically um, because San Francisco was such an interesting place to have that discussion because it was, you know, the birth of, you know, LGBT. Not really in New York was, but, you know, it's got such a huge reputation as this is the city where you are who you are and you're free to be you. But then you've got the tech bros coming in and you see crime on the rise there and homelessness up. And it's just such an interesting dichotomy of that city where how do you how do you manage that kind of that kind of a melting pot and still stay true to who you are and so yeah so i did expensive i did talk a lot to not just my girlfriend but also to a lot of other people a lot of other veterans who have obviously met through her and also i have cousins who've served and that sort of thing and what i wanted was not a sermon on what it means to be a soldier because i'm not a soldier i can't speak to that but little tiny things that i feel like lend to that experience, right? Um, like, for example, BB doesn't like sitting with her back to a door. Or BB's got a really soft spot for MRI, MREs. Like, she's got a very specific MRE that she really, really likes. Um, that sort of thing. So that it really comes off like, okay, these are tiny things that may not hit us a regular person reading it but maybe a, a ex-soldier will be like i understand where that comes from because i have that experience too 
No, that that's awesome. And it's a very interesting perspective to um, being being just part of the family. And uh, like my grandpa's whole charity is raising raising money for not only the soldiers and the families that support them, because that support system is really just the foundation, really a very important thing for sure. And uh, yeah, I can cannot wait to see that. Awesome. Yeah, it's um, and that's also why you have you're going to see a lot of relationships with BB. Um, she comes home to San Francisco. It's her hometown. Uh, she has her parents there. Uh, her dad's Chinese. Her mom's Mexican. They run a restaurant called the Chi Mexicu, which is a Chinese Mexican barbecue fusion restaurant. <laughs> Only awesome. one in Chinatown. And she also has her best friend, Eddie, who is also her first, who was her ex, who was her prom date, who was every, meant everything to her and now is a stranger to her. And they're trying to find common ground again. And so you're going to meet these different people that love BB but don't quite know her anymore and are trying to understand where she's coming from and trying to support her. But it's very hard to support somebody who doesn't let you in. And that's a lot of uh, what you see in the first few issues of the book of them just trying to understand, like trying to support her, but not quite getting it and trying to see where she's coming from. Yeah, for sure. And those are those are very important factors for sure. And um, like you said, this also is a superhero book. Um, and the thing I love about the massive verse, just how everything's so different, Radiant Red, you got a heist thriller, you got like Rogue Sun, you got a very dark supernatural book. Um, what would you say is the bait like the biggest thing that sets your book apart from from the others in the massive verse or um, just the tone of yours? Um, I would say I don't want to call it a war book, but I would call it the robot book. Our book is when you put put it up against a different massive burst, we we spend a lot of time with our bots, with our mechs, with our tech. Um, it's all unlike um, Rogue Sun, which is very supernatural. We're based, even though she has these superpowers, um, these electrical superpowers and this, you know, obsession with the dead. Um, She's very tech based and it's very much based on her own demons, but also what it means to have this kind of power and technology in the city. So um, I would say it's a mix between a, a book about war, but it's also a book about technology, if that makes sense. Doesn't sound super sexy, but I yeah. promise it's fun. <laughs> oh, it's, it sounds it sounds exciting and cannot wait for it for sure. Oh, that's awesome. Speaking of, actually, I'm very particularly interested in ghosts. So I have a multifaceted question when it comes to ghosts. Well, firstly, is ghost like more of a like Iron Man suit or vehicle or kind of thing? Or is it like a sentient character? You know, I I hesitate to answer that because I don't want to I don't want to spoil too much of the book. But I what I will say is ghost is is absolutely a mech that she drives in and writes, but he does have a mind of his own. If okay. that she considers him a partner, would is he sentient? I wouldn't. I wouldn't necessarily say he's sentient because he's uh, brought to life by her powers. So in extension, he's an extension of her, but he is absolutely what she considers a partner. Remember, BB has lost her entire platoon, and she is used to being part of a team. So by bringing Ghost into this fight, she feels like she's getting a little bit of that back. 
So she definitely does not treat Ghost as just a robot. Uh, to her, Ghost is one of the only things that makes sense to her. Awesome. And, you know, based on the fact that this is a book that is within the massive verse, although it's, you know, you have your own sandbox in San Francisco, would you say that there is a potential or even a hope for the future to cross over at any point with other massive verse characters or titles? I mean, I would absolutely love that. I think um, that's the beauty of being in this kind of open world, right? We can always choose to figure out how to, how to, crossover. The nice thing about having it be based in different cities is that you can still have your own contained stories about your city specifically, but um, just like they did Supermassive, like I'd love to be able to be a part of that. Eventually she was in Supermassive the last couple pages, but if they ever do another one, it'd be fun to be a part of that. I don't, I obviously don't know. We're, we're, I'm just trying to get this book off the ground right now, but, but yeah, I mean, I'm, Kyle, Ryan, Matt, Michael, we're all in constant communication. And I think um, the beauty of, of having such an amazing collaborative team is that we we want to play with each other. We like each other and we're excited by everybody else's stuff. So I think that's definitely, I would absolutely love that. I don't, no, and I would say never say never. I would absolutely think it, I think it's something that we purposely do for the open invitation to be able to do it. Though I personally, um, right now the books, she's just in San Francisco doing her thing right now. Uh, speaking of, I was rereading the solicits a couple of days ago and I noticed that it mentioned that uh, there's a tech giant by Morrow mm -hmm. in San Francisco. And Morrow was actually mentioned in the shift story in the image anniversary book. So can we expect... Yes some kind of overlap with Shift and like his kind of goons, like Axel or whatever, to well, show up or interact with BB? Well, the nice thing about Moro is that Moro exists in every single one of those books. So Moro is based in San Francisco, um, but when Kyle specifically put Moro in the Shift books, he means to say Moro. So they definitely have reach and they definitely ha are more than what they pretend to be. So it, they're, they're if Google went evil, essentially. Um, <laughs> Or if, uh, you know, Google met Blackwater, they really, really, really want control and they want power. And it's they dress it up very nicely. They want San Francisco. They, they claim that San Francisco is going to be the city of tomorrow and they have privatized everything. And it's going to be this amazing city that's going to have no crime and all this and that. But obviously, you know. Nothing is ever too good. Everything is always too good to be true when it comes to that stuff. You're giving up a lot if you want them to have everything. But they're they're shiny and they've got really cool robots. <laughs> I'm definitely interested safe. to to learn more about them because so far they've kind of been like in the background. So it looks like they're coming more uh, to the to the foreground of the story in uh, Dead Lucky. Yes, they are. They are based in San Francisco and they are who BB. Uh, there's two antagonists in The Dead Lucky that BB genuinely does not like. Uh, the first one is Moro and Moro has essentially privatized San Francisco. They've come to San Francisco and basically said, we want San Francisco to be the city of the future. This is our home city and we want it to reflect that. And so they have taken uh taking the city into their hands, so to speak. But of course, in doing that, they have, in pushing out, you know, crime and homelessness and all that, they have essentially relocated and 
made a lot of people more homeless and pushed them out of the city and forced them not to be able to live in the city that they grew up in. And so another group has gotten very upset about that, and that is the Salvation Gang. And they are the people that have set up in Castro who are extremely upset about the Moro's fascist ways and not realizing that by doing exactly what Moro's doing and trying to take back the districts, they're just as bad as Moro. And so you see that power struggle um, take place in San Francisco and then BB hops in and she's just kind of like the bomb that like ignites both sparks. She is just uh, she doesn't like either of them, but she's not sure which side she's on or which side she should be on. All she knows is that she doesn't want them around her. And so it's it's kind of an interesting power dynamic between all of them. And you kind of see it playing out where I don't know if violence solves anything for anybody, but they're sure as heck going to try. <laughs> oh, not for sure. So actually, one thing I was wondering, and I will not absolutely not be disappointed. I don't know if you said no, but just curious because I noticed the pattern. But we got a trailer for Radiant Black. We got a trailer for Rogue Sun. Can we expect a trailer for Dead Lucky? I mean, I'm trying, man. <laughs> I definitely want one. I'll, I'll definitely want one. It's one of those things that um, if we can put one together, I'd really like to. Um but it's it's not up to me at this point, and I obviously want to work with the appropriate people to be able to do that. And if I don't get it, I'll be sad, but I definitely will be trying. And if not, then I hope that the um, once we get to be or once we're able to release more art, then that'll do much. I, I really want this book to do well. I'm really excited about it. It's obviously um, a book that's very personal to me. But yeah, I love trailers. I really want one. But um, we'll see how we do it if we can. Well, speaking of, since it's, I'm assuming this is your first uh, ongoing comic book, correct? Correct. Okay, so I just wanted, I was just wondering, one thing we are just always infatuated with on this podcast is all the amazing uh, artwork that is on the, just all Massiverse titles. They all have stunning covers, and, you know, obviously Dead Lucky is no exception. I can't wait to pick up all the variants, and we saw so many, whether they're the exclusive variants or the variants that are coming with the you know, the incentives or the alternate cover variants. Which one's your favorite so far, if you had to pick one? Um, gosh, it's so hard because I, I know every single one of these artists <laughs> and they're all amazing. Um, Luke Duo just released one for issue two. I don't know if um, it's been seen yet. His is really gorgeous. Um, he and I worked together on a show called The Unleashed which I did, and he did the amazing art for The Unleashed, and he did a cover for me that's really, really cool. Tom Whalen did a fantastic cover in that incredible style that he does so well. Uh, Federico did an incredible cover, and honestly, French's main covers are so good, too. Um, every single one of them are just so cool. I just saw the cover for issue three, and it looks so good. <laughs> It's hard, man. Like I love, I just am so in love with with her suit and with Ghost. And every time I see them, like, and I've seen some of the retailer exclusive covers, and they look so cool. And I just, I don't now, know. now you know how we feel. We we just buy them all, so it's okay. <laughs> yeah. It looks so good. I don't know, but yeah, it's just I really like the suit. I really like the design of the of Ghost, and just to be able to see them interpreted by different artists is an incredible honor for me. And I'm just excited every time. That's awesome. Something I was curious about with the f futuristic um, aesthetic of the book and with San Francisco taking over, is there a specific time frame for the book? Um, like, will it be taking place during the supermassive titles um, alongside them? Or has that kind of been a thing? That's yeah, the idea that this is, some, this is something that could happen now in San Francisco um, if we had a company like Morrow. So, 
we're not going to see flying cars or anything like that. Like this is, we're purposely like a lot of the technology that you see that Moro is putting out is based on actual technology that currently is out there. It just hasn't been fully implemented yet. So like, for example, in one issue, we're going to see their self-driving car that just got released. And that's based on an actual car that I, that I saw in San Francisco driving around being tested. And um, they have, you know, robot dogs and those are dogs based on Boston dynamic dogs. And so we took a lot of inspiration on technology that we see happening now it's just Moro has pushed it out a little early and it's only in san francisco because san francisco is their test city right there it's the city that they've been given license to the government to change how they see fit in order to make it into this city of tomorrow that, that is cool for sure um did those names um i i forget exactly what that mex uh the uh the restaurant what, what was that called again mexico Yes. You came up with that name, I'm assuming. (laughs) You know, I mean, I am a genius and I was like Chinese, Mexican and barbecue. (laughs) What is the best way to put that together? No, I'm kidding. Um, Yeah. So Chi Mexicue came. Yeah, that was a name I came up with. Moro uh, was a name I came up with. Um, And Salvation Gang, et cetera. Yeah, I just I have fun with names sometimes. A lot of my job um, when I was a producer at Power Rangers was helping suggest naming things. So um, I did a show called Glitter Force and I got to name everything Glitter Force. And uh, sometimes the Power Rangers, I got to help name some of that stuff. So I, I always have fun with names. Bibiana was a very specific name that I picked for this character as well, because it means life. And there's also a saint by that name. And it's once you get to know the character, it, she's very specifically named that way for a reason. That's awesome. Yeah. One thing I actually noticed when you did the... Uh... The conversation with Jason, the comic source, which is amazing, by the way, if uh, anyone hasn't checked it out yet, I highly recommend it. Yeah, you talked about like how you're not biracial, but yeah, your your partner is Chinese, you're Mexican, and you kind of brought that into BB as a thing. And I just want to, can you expand more on how like identity is important to you and how that's expressed in this character? Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, I, um, I'm Mexican American. I'm female and I'm gay. And working with Power Rangers, especially, it was something that was very important to me. Um, one of the things I loved being about, I loved about Power Rangers was the diversity they represented in their, in their stories was that, you know, you could look at a ranger and whatever ethnicity you are, at some point you could see yourself in them, whether you're male or female, um, you know, we had, you know, Latinos, African-Americans, Caucasians, Asians, like we really tried. We've to... got a non-binary one coming up too. Death exactly. Ranger. Yeah. can't wait. My gosh. Yes. They look so cool. <laughs> but, um, and for me especially, I think growing up, I was, I was so obsessed with television and it was so rare to see somebody that looked like me in the shows and being with my partner had been for so long the same was true for her as an as an asian american and so when it comes to the projects that i work on now uh being able to have a diverse cast is really important to me whether it be the unleashed or the dead lucky or other projects that i can't really speak to right now because they're either upcoming or or still under nda for me I really, I don't want to speak for everybody because I am not everybody, right? But I want to at least try and help um, pepper the world a little more with the world that I see living in Los Angeles. And for me, BB being biracial 
and um, I don't think I've mentioned this at all. She's also pansexual. Um, was important to me because I wanted that character to be a mix of identities because a lot of the theme of the book is being stuck between worlds, right? She is not a soldier, but she's not a civilian, right? She's American. She served in, you know, in the army, she's red, white, and blue all the way through, but she's also Chinese and Mexican and she lives in Chinatown. And there's a lot of culture that arises from that. She's, you know, pansexual. So her, her sexuality is, is, you know, she doesn't really define it. She doesn't see it as something she has to, um, her culture in terms of her obsession with the dead and with the living is something that she's also living in. So she's kind of constantly in a flux between these different identities and trying to find herself because after she's come back from this traumatic experience, she does not know who she is. And so, so much of, of the book is her trying to find her identity in the suit and being this superhero because if she's fighting things, she doesn't have to think about it or figure it out. And so um, it was important to me that she be at flux with a lot of things. And being able to have her be biracial meant that I could um, honor, you know, my, my partner with ethnicity and also my own. <laughs> because I like, you know, I wanted to put a little bit of myself in, in the story. And I want to honor my Mexican culture as well. And so um, that's how she ended up biracial because I didn't want to make her fully Chinese. I'm not Chinese. I can't speak to that character, but I am Mexican and I can speak to that. And so um, that's how she that's how she became biracial. And that's why it's important to me to have her ethnicity be the way it is. It's again, it's not it's just part of who she is, just like her sexuality. It's not like she has these like she goes to pride parades or she talks so much about being Mexican or Chinese. It's just like me that's who she is, right? And it informs her decisions, but it's not something we spend a lot of time really diving into. It's just, that's BB. BB's this person, and she's more worried about Salvation Army or the Salvation Gang and Moro than really worrying about whether or not she, you know, should be more Chinese or Mexican that day, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. I think it'd be interesting to see that in the book, too. I wanted to ask about uh, I saw you did some work on Unleashed and Power Rangers Hyperforce, which mm -hmm. are, from what I understand, I saw a little bit of Unleashed, but not so much of Hyperforce, but I understand they're kind of role-playing, um, like role-playing games kind of thing. Yeah. Can we expect something along those lines in the comic book medium, not just necessarily with uh, the Dead Lucky? Um. What do you mean specifically? Do you mean like bringing role playing to, to comic books or? Yeah, in the sense that like Rogue Sun, I think it was issue seven. They're doing like a choose your own adventure kind of thing. So something along those lines. I mean, I would love that. I would think that's amazing. Um, currently, it's not in the cards for Dead Lucky just because it's a scripted uh, arc. But mm -hmm. um, I think in success, I would absolutely love to be able to do something like that. I think it'd be really fun. One of the really cool things that Kyle constantly impresses me by is his and Ryan too, is their ability to think outside the box and, and challenge the medium, you know, in ways that I just never anticipated or expected. Um, just like you just saw recently, Kyle released his uh, radiant black animated short film, which was incredible. 
And you know, with Supermassive, they did that incredible fold out. And then he did his Blacklight edition. And Ryan is doing his, his you know, choose your own adventure. Like they do things that are just incredible. I'd love to be able to get to their level at some point. Um, but I think because I'm a new writer, I'm just trying to write a good book. Like you said, the massive verse is always expanding on what a comic book could be. Yeah. I just I just want to write a good book at this point, and then um, once I think once once I once I get comfortable with that, then I definitely feel like I can have more agency to play. But I feel like as a new writer, I just want to tell the best story I can possibly tell, and hope that it's enough to um, to have people invested and interested in the story. Definitely, you're doing the work. I mean, you you're you're learning yourself. Like you're talking to veterans and stuff like that, and you're building a story that's like clearly crafted from love and from the heart. Like I'm gonna be the one missing in this conversation with the the way that you're, you know, revealing all this stuff. And you're talking about stuff that really means a lot to you. So it's like I'm in, I'm interested in this book already. Not even based on the preview pages that were already there. And uh, I don't know. I just want to say thanks. I know as a writer, it, it takes a lot. Like you think about it a lot and you dwell on this stuff to be able to formulate it in a way that can be healing. I, I know that's going to be immensely rewarding. And my question I'm related to my little ramble is, do you have any plans for uh, the day that it comes out? Are you going to celebrate with family or what are your day? What are your uh, plans for uh, August 3rd? Um, you know, it honestly depends. I am hoping um, I can't talk too much about it, but I'm actually hoping to be signing somewhere. Um, mm. So I'm in the process of working on that. Um, but uh, I also... I'm doing other projects now. So I have um, another job, um, another gig that I'll be doing. So depending on that, um, we'll be depending on what I'm doing that day. But the day after I'm flying to Chicago to help oh, yeah. uh, to celebrate at C2E2 with, with the boys, which I'm really excited about. That's so, awesome. Yeah. It'll be it. I will not be myself that day for sure. I, I'm one of those people <laughs> that I don't I don't feel things until they happen. If that makes sense, I am, you know, very much a producer and that I'm a professional warrior. So all I think about is everything that could go wrong. And <laughs> so I don't think I don't think I will be truly relaxed about the day until the day after. And so maybe like I don't drink, but you might well and truly see me drunk on Thursday <laughs> night just because this rest will have been done. And I'll be like, it's done. It's out. Hand me something. But, <laughs> Try to enjoy. Try to enjoy. But I'm hoping I want to be at least, you know, I want to visit comic stores at least just to get people's reactions and thoughts because this is it's a big deal for me. And uh, it means so much that this has happened. And I'm just so excited about it. So I'm just so excited to talk about it and so excited to talk about BB and to share more with you. Hopefully we can share more pages soon. Yeah. And you guys can see what I've been talking about because it's so it's so much fun. You guys, I'm so in love with this book and I'm so in love with the massive verse in general and just so honored and excited that I get to be a part of it. Honestly, these are some good dudes, and I'm excited to be a part of it. <laughs> for sure. And uh, well, I guess welcome to Team Massiverse. We can't wait uh, for, to, to see your contribution, of course, and to purchase Dead Lucky. Everybody, this is you know going to be published. Well, uh, this episode is going to be published well in advance of the release date, so it gives you time to order the Dead Lucky before it comes out. The FOC, I believe, the final order cutoff is July 11th. Yes. So make sure, oh, awesome. make sure you pre-order Dead Lucky number one. Call your local comic shops, your online retailers, whatever it is. Get it on your pull list. Check out all the amazing variants from all the amazing artists, whether it's Sabatini, Eleonora Carlini, Tom Whalen, David LaFuente, just to name a few. Mm-hmm. And uh, a massive congratulations to you in advance, uh, Melissa. We can't wait to check it out. Thank you for joining us today. We know you're, you know, you're a very busy person. And we really appreciate it. 
No, I really appreciate the time, you guys. And it's been such, I've been wanting to talk to you guys for a long. I'm a big fan of the podcast, so it's been fun to, to sit here and talk oh, to you guys. Thank you. Thank you so much. It really means a lot to us. And uh, yeah, you really, we, we had so much fun talking about Dead Lucky with you today. And hopefully we'll get you back on in the future after the first arc is done so we could talk about more Dead Lucky. Anytime, guys. I am always here. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. And remember, everyone, stay radiant.